count on one hand the amount of people that played to quarter of a million people over two days uh, in, in Melbourne last week. There are only five people in the world that have seen that. Me, the guitarist, the other guitarist, the bass player and the, and the piano player. And likewise, there are only four people in the world on this crew that are going to get to go out and do this shout this afternoon. So it's the, 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 the two jobs are incredibly similar in so many ways. Hello, I'm Mark Pusey. I uh, am a volunteer uh, crew member at Chiswick Lifeboat Station and at Tower Lifeboat Station here in London on the Thames. Um, and outside of that, my job is a professional musician. Uh, RNLI volunteers come from just about every every stretch of the possible, you know, possible universe in terms of the jobs they do outside of it. I play drums. I'm a freelance drummer. Um, I'm, I'm what's called a session musician, so I play drums uh, on movie soundtracks and on um, albums and um, on pop tours and rock tours and classical tours and just about everything that you can imagine. So I've recently been on, or I'm currently I should say on, Ed Sheeran's uh, world tour, his mathematics tour, which looks like it's going to take up about three or four years. Um, but of course there are breaks, there are down times. So um, we did Europe for about nine months last year and we finished that and had three months off for Christmas. Uh, and we've just done a couple of months in uh, Australasia, Oceania, um, and got back uh, a couple of days ago from that and then we've got six weeks off and we go to the United States for five months um, and during that downtime I'm back on the lifeboat and the good thing about Chiswick is uh, it's a 24-hour station so um, you can you can effectively book on to a shift so provided you can manage your diary effectively um, when I'm at home I'll cram in as many shifts as I can, and those 12-hour shifts, either a day shift from 7am to 7pm, or a night shift from 7pm to 7am. Um, and it provided you can manage your diary, like I say, then uh, you're able to sort of juggle both lives, um, you know, the touring and recording, and, uh, and, the, and the lifeboat as well. My earliest memories of the RNLI, it, it, it kind of started um, when, I was, when I was very young, um, probably about four or five years old, we, we, came, uh, we came on a holiday down to Exmouth in Devon. Um, and we ended up moving there for about 10 years afterwards. And uh, when we were looking for a place to live, um, there was a place right next to the lifeboat station. It's moved now that Exmouth have a very fancy lifeboat station further down the coast. But it used to be just, just right by a row of houses that we were looking at. And um, we went one night when they were out on exercise and I could see these guys going out into this raging sea. And then the blue lights, the, the the blue, you know, we'd see the blue lights and we'd run down to watch them launch. And these guys were going into these insane conditions to help other people. It was absolutely bonkers. So I became obsessed when I was sort of four or five years old, um, despite the fact I lived nowhere near the sea. And my parents, I, I was a Storm Force member, so I used to get their magazines and, and went to open days in Lyme Regis and open days at pool. Um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was. Uh, it became a bit of an obsession. I'm very sea and water based. I do a lot of water based activities. I'm a diver, a windsurfer, and all, all that sort of stuff. If if it's basically a chance of getting wet, I'll do it. So it's sort of coupled with my obsession with the sea. I had a friend uh, called uh, Mike Saunton, who's um, who's at Gravesend Lifeboat, and his wife Sue. Uh, they they and I. I was going on diving trips with them. And Mike was lashing these ropes together, and you know we'd get a we'd, we'd be on the liverboard, so we'd be in the middle of the Red Sea, and then there'd be a little dinghy that would go out, and then 
you know, he'd lash this dinghy up to the side of the boat and his boat handling skill was second to none. And I was like, how, where did you learn all this stuff? And he goes, I've been with the RNLI for years. This is, this is how I found out they were on the Thames. And I was like, oh, what do you mean they're on the Thames? I've always wanted to sort of volunteer for the RNLI. And he was like, no, they've got four stations on the Thames. You basically book on a shift and, and you can do it. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, what? I live near the Thames. I can do that. And it was, it was, it was really exciting not to not to be uh, not to be too cheesy about it, but it was like I watched these guys launch as a kid, and and the, the blue lights and the and the dark stormy nights, and it was so exciting. And I thought I, I've got a chance still sort of to do this. I don't need to move to the coast to do it. And um, in fact, the two busiest lifeboat stations in in the UK and and in Europe almost, you know, because uh, they're the busiest in the UK are on the Thames. So we have Chiswick, which is where I am now, and uh, Tower, I, I, I volunteer at Tower as well. And the idea that you can go out and help these people and be 15 minutes from your front door was was brilliant. I was so excited about the prospect of being able to volunteer after a lifetime of thinking, I need to move to Poole, or I need to move to Brighton, or somewhere, somewhere near the coast, you know. People don't seem to realise, even Londoners, my parents when I started volunteering here, didn't realise that the Thames was necessarily tidal. It's an incredibly tidal river. Um, people tend to think that the height of the river and the amount of water in it is to do with rainfall. So if it's been rainy it'll be full, if it hasn't been rainy it'll be... But really it's incredibly tidal and there's a seven metre tidal difference. Um, on springs between low tide and high tide there's seven meters and if you think of the amount of water that's shifting in in four hours um you know it's going up in certain places of the river by about 30 about 30 centimeters every five minutes so somebody that's trapped in mud on one of the foreshores or the one of the banks because there's a lot of parks around here where people walk their dogs and what the countless times where we've had dogs run in or we've had people go and collect their balls from the muddy foreshore get stuck in the mud and it's raising by by a foot or so every every ten minutes. So, which is all very well and good if you're if you're up to your hips, you know, in water, you know, that's up to your chest in in ten minutes or so, which is the amount of time it could potentially take us to reach the end of our patch. And then beyond that, you know, you, you don't have too much time. So, it's incredibly tidal, um, which means that people coming off bridges, people going into the water around bridges and around boats, barges, moorings, piers. Um, the eddies, the tides are really, really strong. Um, unfortunately, we've had people people go into the water, like fall into the water, jump into the water. We've seen where they've gone in, and we've just been staring at the water because they've been whisked off. There's, of course, cold water shock, which is what everybody everybody deals with all around the coast as well. Um, and the fact that if you go out to sea or you're out on the coast and you're wearing a swimming suit or you're on a boat, there's there's some chance you have in the back of your head, there's some chance I might get wet today. Um, but if you're walking your dog or you're going to your office and you fall in the water or something happens and you end up in the water, nobody left their house that day thinking they were going to get wet and cold and it's not buoyant because it's fresh water. So there's zero buoyancy. So if you go in and you're wearing clothes, you'll tire very, very quickly. There are shopping trolleys. There are <laughs> bicycles. On some low tides, it's, it's you know, oh God, you seen that? What's that? Oh, it's an old Land Rover. You know, there's so much stuff in the river beneath the surface that, you know, you can get caught on. Um, as I say, when the tide's firing out on springs at six knots, 
Uh, you come out of a kayak, for example, and you go onto a pier and you get pinned underneath that pier. Life jacket or no, it's just a matter of time before you, you, you get to, you're in real trouble. Um, so there are, there are a lot of dangers, some of them hidden, some of them fairly obvious. So boat race day um, is is one of probably actually the biggest event in Chiswick's calendar. Um, Chiswick, as a station, runs the gambit between very very rural. So we've got Sion Park, we've got Richmond, we've got sort of very very towny, very countryside, all the way down to Battersea, which is really central London. So there's commercial traffic, uh, Uber boats, uh, clippers, um, commercial class five vessels, all that sort of stuff, as well as windsurfers up at this end, paddleboarders up at this quieter end. So we really see everything on the river and, and, and especially around Chiswick we get a lot of rowers and that rowing community is huge. And on, on boat race day, uh, the Oxford and Cambridge boat race, um, it attracts an inordinate amount of, of public, up to a million spectators lining the river. And of course, just as I said, my mum and dad didn't know anything about the Thames really. These people come onto the Thames and they're standing on the muddy foreshore and they stand on, you know, all around the route. And, um, you know, when tide comes in, which it, it invariably does, they end up getting wet and they end up getting, uh, needing, needing rescued. Um, but the atmosphere is utterly electric. The atmosphere is utterly electric because you've got up to a million people lining the lining the route. You've got people who uh, have got their kids on their shoulders, kids in front of them, so you know, knee deep in water in their wellies. Um, you've got the world's media. You know, it's 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 covered on BBC One Live. Um, it's on radio. You've got cameras all set up along the route. We are the boat race uh, as we record this is in two, is in a week. It's actually this Sunday coming up. Um, so we've got a sort of rehearsal run where we have uh, we'll have I think eleven boats out. So we have our two E-class jet boats, uh, one preceding the race in case there's a shout upstream, and one following the race because the wake is something pretty pretty terrific and people get swept up in that wake and carried away in it uh, and in addition to that dotted along the route we've got nine Arancia little ribs the lifeguarding ribs with each with a member of crew in so it's a massive task it's a massive um, it's a massive task it's a massive uh, operation to uh, to make work and it works fairly seamlessly now because we've been doing it for so many years and of course, there's the water safety message as well, which we're really, really, really proud of getting across. So our teams that work in water safety education and go into schools and the signage we have up along the route. Uh, for example, in 2015, we had to rescue 88 people. There was a big patch of foreshore that, that flooded and unfortunately it floods at both ends first. So the ingress and the exit points are, 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 are tied off. Uh, so we had to take 88 people off of this patch of water and the next year it was I think 11 or, or 12 or something like that and then for the last few years it's been zero. Obviously the race stopped for Covid but we're very proud of the fact that we've got down with these ribs that were flying up and down the course we're able to instruct people look you've got about 15 minutes before this part of the river is inaccessible and you can't get out. So really as well as the inevitable the rescue part we try and, and cut that off at the pass. We try and educate people to say, look, you've got 15 minutes to leave this area, then you're going to have to get rescued. And normally, you know, people that are 
people that have been there with their picnic baskets and their deck chairs that have got the perfect spot at least they think so for race day some of them are reluctant to leave and then they see the water lapping at their toes and like, oh maybe we should go then um and some of them are very thankful for the message but uh, yeah that water safety message on the day has really has really paid dividends because uh, we're rescuing fewer and fewer people on boat race day but the atmosphere is utterly electric the thrill you get from being on stage and having we, we, with, with Ed we just uh, we, we just as I say finished this Australian tour and we finished uh, two gigs at um, the Melbourne Cricket Ground and over I think day one was 108,000 people day two was 110 so over two days nearly quarter of a million people came to see us that were watching and cheering and screaming at you um, and you know that's that's a feeling insanely close to my heart that's sort of part of the reason I do it and then come home and lifeboating's exactly the same and it's but it's incredibly humbling you'll be out and you'll be doing these stages and there'll be people screaming at you and, and really excited and then you get back and you you pick somebody at the river who might out of the river who might have fallen in or might be incredibly despondent and you get to help that person and and the feeling the buzz is is exactly the same or or if not much better i mean it's sort of each one puts the other into perspective um so one you know you can you can go and do a gig and and be you know with Elton John or whoever and and be be screamed at and be cheered at and all the rest of it and you know be on top of the world and then you come home and you pull someone out of the river and their kids come in a week later with a box of celebrations to say thanks for saving the life of my dad you know thanks for bringing my dad home and there are four of us you know four grown men in the lifeboat station just sobbing and it's a real leveler but each I, I feel like the adrenaline is exactly the same in both it's it's just it is partly selfish it's the feeling that you've changed somebody's life or saved saved someone or, or been a part of a team more importantly that saved them um, and the camaraderie you have with your friends here is exactly the same as the camaraderie you'd have with a band traveling around the world you know you live with these people especially at Chiswick it's different maybe perhaps on a pager station I know that they the communities that they mostly come from are incredibly tight-knit and lifeboat personnel are incredibly tight-knit it's exactly the same here you know you book in for a 12-hour shift you're on at 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. and you spend 12 hours a day an arm's length away from for example on station today we've got somebody who used to be the deputy editor of the Evening Standard we've got somebody who spent his life training firearms and close protections officer we've got a London paramedic and we've got uh, someone who, who's, uh, whose dad owns a, 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 a bunch of shops and he manages them so it's the most eclectic mix of people you could think of and that conversely uh, you know to the music thing when you're traveling close-knit with a band and you're going from city to city and only you are seeing these I can count on one hand the amount of people that played to quarter of a million people over two days uh, in, in Melbourne last week there are only five people in the world that have seen that me the guitarist the other guitarist the bass player and the and the piano player and likewise there are only four people in the world on this crew that are going to get to go out and do this shout this afternoon. So it's the, 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 the two jobs are incredibly similar in so many ways. Both the bond you make with the people around you, both the excitement you get from delivering your job and the anticipation of what's to come. It's, uh, they're both incredibly exciting. It's Dee Kafari here and you've been listening to part of the RNLI's 200 Voices collection. 
To hear more remarkable stories, head to rnli.org forward slash 200 voices or subscribe to the RNLI wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you. Two Hundred Voices is an adventurous audio limited production for the RNLI.